My problem is there's some things that I think I need that I don't presently have. And there's some things that I presently have that I'm afraid I'm going to lose. That's how I live my life. And they're legitimate concerns. Okay? We're not saying you shouldn't be concerned about them. Of course you should be concerned. But at what point does concern drift into something that becomes debilitating and problematic? So I find it interesting in Psalm 23, David makes these same statements, doesn't he? I mean, is, is this not a marvelous thing to you? Or, or, or a marvel? Maybe we say marvel first. I lack nothing or I shall not want so David is able at this point of his life to look around and say, you know what? There's nothing I need. Doesn't that marvel you? And then look down for just a minute, if you would, to verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. David is at the point in his life where we can say, there is nothing which causes me fear in kind of a debilitating way. And I go, so David, you're, there's not things that you really, 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 really want, and there's not really things that you're really, really, really concerned you're going to lose. And apparently in this psalm, David's able to say, I'm okay with all that. How do you get there? How do you get to the point in your life where you could say, yeah, there's things that I appreciate and like if God gives it to me, but I'm content. Ah, yeah, there's things that concern me, but if it goes, it goes. It's okay. Wow. I can't possibly generate those emotions on my own. I can't. I cannot do it. So what gets David there? It's how he views God, isn't it? Um, I think this is probably important just to say up front. This is the most popular psalm in the Psalter. I, I get that. And it's kind of every man's psalm, isn't it? I mean, what funeral have you attended where you haven't seen Psalm 23? You know, I mean, like, what funeral director doesn't, like, give you Psalm 23? Oh, you're Protestant uh, or Catholic? Here it is, and... They stick it down. That's what they do. And, and it's just kind of like, if you're a living human being, this psalm is yours. And I would argue this psalm is not yours just because you're a living human being. This is not every man's psalm. This is the psalm of a believer in Jesus Christ. It's not for everybody. But if you know him, it is for you. So David, what is it that you have come to realize that can make you say there's things I want, but if I never get them, it's okay. And there, there's, there's things I have that if I lose, it's okay. Man, David, I like, I need that. Don't you? I mean, I need that. And this is what he says. David has come to realize you have this in your handout. And, and uh, if you've got a um, bulletin, you have the outline in there. I'm not going to read it word for word, but it's, it's in there. David 
comes to realize two things. And it's, it's kind of, frankly, to be honest with you, scholars debate how to break down this psalm. It's only six verses, but they still debate it. They debate everything, okay? The end of the day, I think verses one, two, and three is one unit. Four and five is a separate unit, and verse six is kind of a concluding unit. I think that's probably the best way to break it down. And here's one of the things that's really fascinating to me. Okay, I'll just mention it to you, then we'll work through it. In the first three verses... David is going to talk about the fact that God as his shepherd provides everything he needs. Not everything he wants, but everything he needs. And he talks to God. He talks about God. The Lord is. Do you see? It's a third person. He doesn't say, Lord, you. He says, the Lord is. He does this. See see what I'm saying? When you hit verse 4 and 5, and David now is talking about things he fears or could potentially fear. He doesn't, doesn't talk about God. He is. He talks to God. You are there. I don't know about you, but I need a personal you God <laughs> right up front when I'm going through things that scare me. Don't you? And then in verse 6, he pulls back. He steps out of the imagery, and he just says, this is what my life's all about. Okay, so that's what I want to walk through, just kind of three units. God provides, God protects, and sum it up. Just six verses. Shouldn't take me that long, but who knows? Look at God as a great provider. Uh, the other thing that really strikes me as interesting is um, David could have chosen all kinds of images, analogies for understanding God. And one of the fun things to do in the Bible, and, and, and I don't know who came up with the bulletin. Mindy, was this your idea? I really like on the front of the bulletin, it's got all those different statements about who God is. Oh, whoever that was, nice idea, whatever. Okay, whatever. But one of the fun things to do sometimes when you read through scripture is just look at all the images that are given you of God. He's a shelter. He's a refuge. He's this. He's this. All these analogies. They're just kind of, he's a father. Just all out there. David chooses shepherd to talk about God. Why? Well, as you know, David was a shepherd, wasn't he? And for, for much of his early life, he spent it on the backside of a desert with dirty, smelly sheep. And matter, matter of fact, Psalm 78, when it talks about David, says, God took him out of the flock shepherding sheep and brought him to the nation so he could shepherd God's people. So David understands sheep. And, and, and when he thought about God and he thought about his own responsibilities through the years, he began to say, man, there's all kinds of analogies with God. And he uses the analogy of shepherd because he is so familiar with shepherds. David, so God will provide, yes. Well, well tell me what that entails. Here's his declaration. Here it is, plain and simple. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not, I I lack nothing or I shall not want. That is his declaration. Verse two and three, he's going to explain why he could say that. But at the end of the day, folks, if you and I can walk away with the idea of this image of God as shepherd and everything that that entails, the byproduct of that is all my needs are provided for. Not all my wants. Not my list, but my needs as he sees it. 
So how can we see God as shepherd? So David makes the statement, and then he wants to unpack it. Listen to what he says when he unpacks it here in verse 2 and 3. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, I'm not a farmer, not a shepherd. I'm not the son of any of those. So, so, and I haven't sat on the hillside and watched shepherds for hours, hours and sheep for hours. I've driven by and seen sheep, but that's about it. So I have to trust guys that are in, do these kinds of things. And one of the things they'll tell you is with sheep, um, they largely stand up. And it's very, very hard to get them to lie down. We say they're sheepish, right? And unless they are really don't see any fear, don't see any problems around them, they're not going to lie down. It's not going to happen. And they got to be really careful too because when they lie down, if they lie down on their back for a period of time and get stuck, apparently they, people tell me they can die. So, you know, it's a real kind of cautious thing. He says here, the reason he can say God is his shepherd is when he thinks of God, God has this way at just the right time taking me just to the right place so I can rest. And as I rest, I can feed. He says, he, he, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. If you take a sheep by a fast waterfall or something, it's panic stricken. But if you take it by quiet waters, you can take that sheep into the water. And if it's been cut and wounded, you can, you can take care of those wounds and you can do healing and you do a whole host of things for that poor sheep. And, and David says, when I think of God, God knows just the time to take me to that place where I can feed and I can rest and I can find restoration and I can find healing. That's who he is. So I think of God and I think of a shepherd and I think of this God who knows how to restore me at just the right moment. And you know what he does? He moves from the analogy, the picture, to reality in our own lives. Look at what he says here in verse 3. He refreshes or he restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. So David says, I'm thinking of shepherds. I'm thinking about what I've done with sheep through the years. And I know what it's like to take them into a setting when they need this kind of restoration and this feeding and, and, and because it's where they're at. And so he says, let me step out of that now and just talk to you about my own life. He says, you know what? God is the great restorer of my soul. Don't you need that? Don't you find there's times in your life where you're so overwhelmed and overcome and you just, you know you're not thinking correctly. Your emotions are out of control. A whole host of things. And, and God knows just the right time to put us in just the right setting so our souls can go, oh. have you known that from God? Do you need that from him? He knows you need it. He knows when you need it. And he will give it to you when you need it. Now, if you're like me, sometimes I'm saying like, God, I need it now. What are you waiting for? God says, trust me. And at just the right time, I will take you where you need to be so your soul can. <sighs> but that's never the end. 
My life is not merely about God restoring Doug Finkbeiner so Doug Finkbeiner can be restored and be feeling good, is it? My life is ultimately about following him and obeying him and submitting to him. So look at what he goes on to say. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. He says, look, I will bring you to that point in your life when you need restoration and refreshment so that I can then lead you in such a way that you are doing the right thing, making the wise decisions for my glory. Because at the end of the day, it's all about the shepherd, isn't it? It's for his namesake. God restores us and God leads us where we need to go. And David says, if God does those two things, if God knows just when my soul needs restoration, and if God is the all-wise God that I can trust as a shepherd, that wherever he leads me, whatever he says in his word, I will say, yes, God, and I will just do it for his glory. I won't lack anything. Now, for just a minute, I want you to think about this. Is life, if life is about Doug's glory, then I will live my life wanting and needing throughout my lifetime, won't I? Right? If, if, if it's my agenda, I need this. I mean, it's all about my glory and my agenda and those kinds of things. This psalm doesn't help you a lick. It doesn't help you at all. But if your life is about him, finding restoration from him, being led in the right path by him for his glory, God says, I will do all that. Will there be hard times? Yes. Will there be confusion? Yes. Will there be doubt? Yes. All true, all true. But I will so work in your life to restore and to lead you that you will come to the point in your life where you will say, you are this great shepherd in whom I can rest and I am content with everything I have because you give me all I need. That's what the psalm is saying. But it's not every man's psalm. It's a psalm for those that are bound up with Christ. Does that make sense? So in the first three verses, he talks about this great shepherd who provides. Will he give me the iPhone 6? I have no idea. Will he restore my soul? Will he then lead me into the into right kind of living, which at the end of the day is all I need? The answer to that is yes. David if God leads you, that means he always leads you in easy paths, right? And David says, well, not exactly. Because this, this all-wise God who leads us will often, you know, in the ancient world, they had these dark ravines that they would have to often take the sheep through. And, and, and you know, it was kind of scary for robbers and animals and beasts and all those kinds of things. But a shepherd had to get from point A to point B. And sometimes the only way to get there is through a ravine. And so the all-wise God knows when I need to lie down in green pastures and he knows when I need to go through this dark ravine that brings fear 
And so what David does in verses 4 and 5, he largely focuses on the God who protects. I, I fear, like you, I fear a lot of different kinds of things. Sometimes I fear people. Sometimes I fear circumstances. And David in verse 4 and 5 talks about both of them. But you know what he does? He will continue to use the image of a shepherd in verse 4. But then he's going to switch in verse 5 and he's going to talk about the image of a banquet host, which is a little bit of a different picture. But in both, he addresses God as you directly, second person, as he speaks. So listen to what he says in verse 4 with the shepherd imagery. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, or perhaps your translation says the, the shadow of death, right? I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Shepherds would often carry clubs, wouldn't they? Animal gets in the way, crack that thing. And the staff could lead the animal around some of those ravines and, and so forth and, and would comfort it. It could be used to, to, to lead them and also to defend them. So he, he has all this kind of equipment. But here's the bottom line. A shepherd's equipment means nothing unless it's in the hands of the right kind of shepherd. Right? And this passage says, when you go through those darkest, deepest moments of your life, God knows how to put off the enemy and lead you gently through. You know, I've thought about this. I, I, I want to appreciate the, the prayers and the comments as my father is in the dying process. And, and it's, it, we've had some just incredible moments with him. And um, I mean, yesterday... I was telling Tim this this morning, it, 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 and James I was telling too. I think I told both of you separately, whatever, it doesn't matter. But um, what was pouring out of his heart yesterday was just, he was just so thankful. Here's a man's life who's, he, he doesn't have much time left, and he was thanking Sherry and I for coming and thanking his wife for making supper for him and thanking God for being his savior. You know, it just, he was just he's kind of oozing out all this thankfulness. I just, we were just so encouraged by, by that, you know, it's just, it was a wonderful thing, but here's the thing, when my mom died and my sister died, I was there when both of them died, I wanted to be there with them when they died, I'm hope, I hope I'm there when my dad died, I don't know if I will be or not, but I hope I am, and because and, I want to be there to encourage them right up until the end, but here's the bottom line, I can only walk with them at best up to the brink, and I can do no more. Isn't it wonderful that there is a good shepherd that will walk them up to the brink and across the lake into glory itself? And he says, when you go through your deepest, darkest ravine, it could be death itself. What it will encourage you is that not that he is there, but that you, God, are here with me. Isn't that wonderful? God is with us 
in our deepest, darkest moments to protect us, to keep us from dying? Nope. But to walk us through that ravine so that we come out the other side into glory itself. Do you think when my father passes into glory that for a second he would be interested in coming back? No way. We'd like him to come back, but he won't want to come back. Isn't that the beauty of the gospel if you know Christ? Christ says you don't have to live your life with this long list. I, I need this and I need that and I need this and I need that. And I got to have a new car and a new house and dead, 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 dead. I got I to get married one day. What if I'm single all my life? My life will be a waste. No, it won't. No, it won't. Because you have him. And he will provide everything you need to deepen in your faith walk with him and his spiritual journey that he has designed for you here on this earth. That's the beauty of the gospel. And along the way, he will always protect you. We won't know to glory how the hordes of hell and the demonic world try to destroy us. I mean, aren't you glad you don't know as much as you would like? I mean, can you imagine? I think we're going to get to glory. He's going to say, you remember when this happened, Doug? Do you know that all this stuff was going? Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't know it then, but I'm glad I know it now. He's the great protector, folks. He walks with us in our deepest and our darkest moments. And when no one else can be with us, he is there. Please don't forget that. He then switches gears. And in verse 5, he changes the picture, and now we're sitting at a banquet. And I mean, this is not some common banquet. This is like an off-the-charts banquet. I mean, the cup is running over. That's pretty good. You know, you, have you ever somebody pour you something to drink, and they pour too much, and just, I didn't need quite that much lemonade, or whatever, you know. He's just saying, this is a banquet where, I mean, the cup is running over. You have plenty to drink. And there is a table, there is a feast set before you like you can't possibly imagine. But here's the problem when I think about this passage. He prepares this banquet in the presence of what? Enemies. I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit unnerved with that one. You know what it made me think of? Remember in Daniel chapter 5 when Belshazzar has a thousand of his officials come and they have this great banquet. Do you know what's going to happen that night? The Medes and Persians are going to get inside the city and they're going to destroy all those individuals. But they're banqueting in the presence of their enemies. The banquet means nothing unless the one who's leading the banquet can protect me from the ones around. Do you see? And God says, I want you to think about the things you fear, the circumstances of life. Think of death itself, which is the thing we ultimately fear. I will walk with you through that. Think of people that you fear. And God says, I am so for my people that we will have a banquet of provision and enjoyment and joy though you're encircled by your enemies. Isn't that amazing? It really is the eye of the storm. 
You have this huge hurricane which is just stirring all around. And in the very midst of the hurricane, there is this peace. And that's kind of how I picture this passage. Here is this incredible banquet of wonder and everything around it is, you know what I mean? He says, I will protect you. And because I can protect you from that, you can feast and enjoy me and my presence in the midst of all that. Isn't that an incredible psalm? I mean, it's only six verses. And if you've you know, been a Christian any period of time, you memorized it 30 years ago. We know it. We've heard it. We, we do it. We even sang it, which is a great song. But this psalm to me is just, it's just marvelous. David, David wants to sit down and just glorify his God. Show people just how incredibly good he is. The image that comes to his mind is, I know shepherds. When I think of shepherds, shepherds provide. They know just the time when you need to be restored. They know just the time when you need to be led. And they know just the time when you need to take a path that could be dangerous and difficult. They're all wise. And David was saying, that's God. He will protect. He will provide. He'll protect me against all the enemies as he sees fit. And you know what? David knows banquets. Kings know how to put on a good banquet. And David says, we can banquet in the presence of God and not fear what goes on around us because he is in control. Okay, David. I'm hearing you. Could you like summarize this whole thing in just one verse for me? Verse six. David says, let me step out of the image and let me just tell you what my life's all about. And when your life is all about this, you really can learn what it means to say, I need nothing and I fear nothing. Verse six. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So David, put it together for us, would you? David says, okay. And when the, I'm reading from the NIV here, it uses the word love, but in the Hebrew, not to get Hebrew on you, but it, it's, it's, it's the Hebrew word kesed, which is a really hard word to translate because it's just packed. I kind of like to call it the covenantal, loyal love of God. And I know that's like a lot of stuff to say. And, and David is saying this. When I think of my life, and, and, and my, my translation here says, uh, it will follow me. A, a better translation would be the word pursue. He says this. When I think of my li- about my life, this covenantal loyal love of God, this, this incredible goodness of God will not just follow me. It's not like Doug Finkbeiner's walking over here and his, and his loyal love says, oh, where's Doug? And kind of, that, that's not the point image at all. Don't picture it that way. Put the word pursue in there. Think of an enemy or an individual who is pursuing a prey that they want to actually, we have hunters in here. So you, you take a shot, you nick it, you think you killed it, but you're not sure. You pursue, don't you? I mean, you will, you will find that thing no matter what, okay? God says, when I think of my, David says, when I think of my God, his incredible goodness and love pursues me 
wherever I go. Then just that, oh, where where that? No, no. I mean, it is hard after me wherever I go. Isn't that great? When you think of God, David says, I want you to think about this incredibly good God who loves you because you're in covenantal relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Man, he dogs you with, he just follows you, he pursues you with his, with his incredible love. Everywhere I go, David says, this will be all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David says, I just want to be in a place where I can be in communion with God because I love him. And David says, when I look at my life, God is good to his people. God will do everything for them so that they can go, go more deeply into this rich relationship with him. And David says, my entire life is about God pursuing me and me pursuing him. Do you know as a believer, that can always be met? Do you know that? Wherever you are, God is good. He is for you in the person of Jesus Christ. And wherever you are, no matter what you're going through, you can deepen in your communion relationship with him. Do you know that? So David pulls back. This is not a psalm for every man. This is a psalm for believers. God's important to you. You can have him. He will provide for you. He will protect you. He will take you the distance. Before I close, because I know I've gone longer than I should have. Sorry about that. It's only six verses. It could have been worse. It could have been 10 or 15. Can I just read to you three passages from the New Testament? Three passages. First one is John chapter 10. Because here's what you find, folks. This psalm tells me God or the Lord is our shepherd. All through the Old Testament, following the kingship of David, kings are called shepherds of God's people. Is there a way that those two can be combined? There is only one person that brings all that together, and it's Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate son of David and the God, the God-man, David. Listen to John chapter 10. And let me, let me just start reading here in, uh, in verse, verse 3. Or verse 2, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. How often does that happen? Therefore, Jesus said, Verily, very truly, I say to you, I am the gate of the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and out, and they will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life 
and have it to the full. That's why Christ has come, right? That you might be saved and have life to the full. Not life as you want it, but life as he's designed it. There's a difference. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs. Then the wolf attacked the flock and scatter it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. You know, as much as David could rejoice that the Lord was a shepherd, and the Lord was, how much more us? The shepherd has become one of us and has died for us that he might save us and shepherd us through our lives. Isn't that amazing? This theme of Christ's shepherd surfaces in John, surfaces in Peter, surfaces in Hebrews, again and again and again. The great shepherd who has died for us. I want to just read to you one more passage. I was going to do three, but I'll just do one more. Romans chapter 8. I want you to listen. Although the theme, although the term shepherd is not used, the idea of protection and provision is powerfully used in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. Familiar verses. Will you listen to it? And what you will find that there is this great shepherd, Jesus Christ, who cares for us. Listen to what it says. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who will condemn? No one, because Christ Jesus died. More than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ. If you know him. In him you have no needs. They're all taken care of. In him you need to have no fears. Because he protects. And we know so much more because we know Christ who is for us. He will provide everything we need. And protect us against the things that scare us most. Let that sink in. Let it change the way you live. Let's pray. Father.